He humbled himself and carried the cross. 
Father, you made a way. You tore the veil, the curtain that separated us from you, and you draw us. You call us into deeper relationship with you. Thank you, God. It's because of your sacrifice that we can approach you with boldness, without hesitation, knowing that you love us. You have given us so much, Father. You have given us everything. We thank you, God. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to invite the ushers forward as we give back to God through our tithes and offerings.
Father, there is such power in the cross. We look at the cross and and we feel the weight of our sins. And yet we look at the cross and we see your amazing gift of grace and forgiveness. And all we can do is express our gratitude and ask you to make the cross more and more real in our lives each day. We thank you, Father, that through the cross, we we not only are forgiven of our sins, but we hear you call us to pour out our hearts to you. We know you love us and you hear us. We pray today, Father, for our nation, our world. We think about refugees around the world who are looking for safety and security, a place to to live. And we ask that you would give them what they seek. That you would bring an end to the conflicts and and the struggles of places that they would call home. We pray for people around the world who are continuing to recover and deal with disasters and tragedies, other countries and our country. We pray for places of war and violence. We ask that you would bring peace. We pray, Father, for our nation that feels so divided, that you would bring unity in you, that you would help the leaders of our nation to work for justice and righteousness. As only you can do. Father, we, we pray today for your church around the world. We pray for Chris and Melissa George as they serve in Perth, Australia. Help Melissa in her continuing recovery from surgery. Help Chris as he, as he handles many ministries, as looking for more people to help them. It's a very difficult place. And yet, we believe that you want to do great things. We pray, Father, for our brothers and sisters around the world who worship you and serve you in secret, who face opposition and oppression and persecution and threats. We ask that you would give them courage and strength. Give them the ability to discern when to talk about their faith and when not. May they know our support today and every day. We pray, Father, for churches right around us. We pray for the Belfast First Baptist Church and Pastor Franklin. May your grace be upon this congregation of believers as they serve you in Belfast and as they work to influence their community and beyond. And Father, we pray for the needs that we bring with us today. We pray for all who are grieving Think especially of Skip Lord and his family at the death of his mother this week. May your comforting presence be very real to them. We pray for all who are dealing with health issues, injuries, illnesses, and ask that, that you would bring your healing grace to each one. We pray for our families, that you would help our families to, to know your grace upon us. That we would be we would create homes. Whatever our family looks like, we would create homes where we know you're present. We pray for our children and our youth. Lord, we, they're so precious to us. They're precious to you. Help us as a church to do everything we can to nurture them in the faith and the reality of who you are. That as they grow, their hearts will be turned to you for all of their lives. We pray for our relationships. Heal those Restore those relationships that are fractured and broken. And in the relationships that are good, just continue to enhance them. We pray for the financial needs we may represent. Help us to see that you are a God who meets our needs. Help us to see that you are a God of immense and infinite generosity. Make us generous people. We think about the future, plans ahead of us, anxiety, concerns, uncertainty. Fill us with your peace and wisdom 
Father, give us hearts that are continually open to you and are continually desiring to love each other. Lord, open our eyes to your daily grace. We ask all of this through Jesus Christ, who in grace goes to the cross for our sins and the sins of all people, and who teaches us to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This morning's scripture reading is from Mark fifteen thirty-three to 41. Please stand if you're able for the reading of the gospel. Mark 15, 33 to 41. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and when the centurion, who stood there in front of Jesus, heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Some women who were watching from a distance, among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Younger, and of Joseph and of Salomon. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. This is the word of the Lord. Before you're seated, let me invite you to share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. I just want to mention a couple of things that uh, are in your bulletin. On Easter morning, as our practice has been for uh, many years, we will be baptizing those who are interested at the uh, early service. Uh, and uh, if you're interested in that, let me know in the next few weeks. We'll have a class in preparation for that. And also, I just want to remind you, next Sunday is time to turn up our clocks. So we lose an hour of sleep next Saturday night, but uh, I just want to make you aware of that. You know, when we sang a few minutes ago, The Power of the Cross, that song that uh, always touches me emotionally, because it reminds me of, of the agony that Jesus goes through because of my sins and your sins. And the reality that, that, that God, that God is, is, is doing this in Christ because our sins have created a problem. I mean, I'm so grateful. I think about the cross and have gratitude in my heart for God, to God for what he's done. But there is also this sense of realization of the destructiveness of sin. I don't know that we always, we always think that much about how destructive sin is. We see it, we recognize it. In places like Columbine or Auschwitz, the South Sudan, 
the Sierra Leonean civil war, our own civil war. We recognize it in Montgomery in 1963 or Parkland, Florida in 2018. We see it, we grasp it. In those circumstances, it's clear. But I I wonder sometimes if in our daily lives, if in, in, in the things that we wrestle with and the way that we live, if we recognize the destructive nature of sin, what it does to our relationships. I mean, after the fact, we recognize when we've been selfish. We recognize when, when we've hurt one another. But in the middle of it, it doesn't seem to really get a hold of us. But at the, at the, ultimately, the most destructive thing about sin is not so much what it does, even to our relationships with other people, as, as bad as that can be, but it's what it does to our relationship with God. One of the things I love about, about the way the scripture is designed is that you read the first couple of chapters of Genesis and you get an image of how God intended things to be. And you read the last couple of chapters of Revelation and you see what God is going, what things are going to be. And there's a lot of similarities between them. And in the first chapters of Genesis, as we see the Garden of Eden and God is created and, and things are good, there is this, there's this relationship between God and, and, and these human beings that is awesome. And then sin, sin enters the picture. And when sin enters the picture, things change. Where there was intimacy, now there's distance. Where there was dependence, now there's independence. Where there was knowledge, now there's ignorance. Where there was fellowship, now there's disconnectedness. Where there was trust, now suspicion. And one of the most damaging things about about sin in the world is that it creates a sense of suspicion in us about God. Can he really be trusted? Is he really who he says he is? Does God really want relationship with me? I think that's what fascinates me about what the gospel writers say about the death of Jesus. We've been talking about last few weeks during Lent about the, the shadow of the cross falling on people. It also falls on things. One of the places that we see the destructive nature of sin, maybe the, maybe the most profound symbol of the destructive nature of sin on which the, the cross, the shadow of the cross falls, is the temple. The temple is something that God established for Israel. First, the tabernacle in the wilderness. And ultimately, they build a temple in Jerusalem. And and what you see in this temple, even how it's constructed, it is constructed for distance. It It is constructed for separation. Everything about it. The the outer court of the temple is as far as Gentiles can go. And then the next court is as far as Jewish women can go. And the next court, as far as Jewish men can go. And then you have the place where only the priests can go. And then you have this one last room. Smaller than the rest. One last room. That is called the holy place. The most holy place. We read about God's directions in Exodus 26. And here God says to Moses... Across the inside of the tabernacle hang a special curtain made of fine linen with cherubim skillfully embroidered into the cloth using purple, blue, and scarlet yarn. Hang this inner curtain on gold hooks. Set it into four posts made from acacia wood and overlaid with gold. The posts will fit into silver bases. When the inner curtain is in place, put the Ark of the Covenant behind it. The curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. 
Then put the ark's cover, the place of atonement, on top of the ark of the covenant inside the most holy place. It is designed as some place special, holy, different. And the thing about that place is while groups of people, various groups of people, can go in all the other places of the temple, in the holiest place, in the most holy place, only one person is allowed. In Leviticus 16, the Lord said to Moses, Warn your brother Aaron not to enter the most holy place behind the inner curtain whenever he chooses. The penalty for intrusion is death. For the ark's cover, the place of atonement is there, and I myself am present in the cloud over the atonement cover. The high priest is the only person that can enter that space. And they only enter that space one time a year. And if the high priest decided to go into that room any other time of the year but the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, it would mean death. Anyone else that tried to enter that room, any other priest that wanted to enter that room, it would mean death. It is all about separation. Because that's what sin does. It separates. It divides. And so, when the shadow of the cross falls on the temple, it falls on that curtain. But the gospel writers tell us that as the shadow of the cross falls on that curtain, you can almost visualize it hitting the top of the curtain, and all of a sudden, it begins to shred. And it tears right down the middle. Now, you've got to understand, when I, think about the, when I thought about the temple curtain, you know, as a child particularly, but really hadn't thought much about it, I have in my mind something about the size of a shower curtain. You know, maybe one of those curtains in the store where you're a changing room. The temple curtain was 60 feet high and 30 feet wide. It was made of threads that were woven, made of, made of a sort of brocaded-like material that were woven with threads in bunches of 24 threads in one loop. And so all it was made with this heavy Thick material. You couldn't just walk up to it and tear it. And the thing about that curtain is that it's separated. That curtain might have been a few inches wide, but it might as well have been a few miles wide. Because the distance between one side and the other is almost infinite. Between a holy God and sinful people. And now the cross in the last breath of Jesus, as, it, as that shadow hits it, it shreds. It separates. And that torn curtain tells us that God wants to be close to us. The separation, the distance that our sin created, God has torn apart. Because he wants to be close to us. He wants to be near with us, to us. He wants us to be one with him. We talk about the word atonement, as you see in here. It means, you know, to be made one. And sometimes people will talk about that, dividing up the word as at one meant. To be one. To be one with God. To be united with God. To be in the presence of God. To know the power of God. To know the grace of God. And that separation has been broken And the thing about that curtain separating is that now everybody has access to God. Not just one person one time a year, but all people at any time of the year. It's wide open and there's access to God. We can come to him. And he invites us. And now... It's not just one person that's special. It's one high priest. Everyone is special. You know what? I think sometimes we wrestle with that. I think sometimes we, we really wish maybe that wasn't the case. Because we have a tendency to, to define our value based on being better at something than someone else. I know more about this subject, so I have a leg up on that person. I've had these accomplishments, so I'm better than that person. I have these connections, so I'm better than that person. 
And it's not as if we're saying really in some sense we're better than them. We just have more value. It's, it's the way that we think this, this gives us value. We have something somebody else doesn't have. And so to say everyone is special in our minds might well sound like no one is special. Because what makes me special is that I am different from other people. I have something they don't have. But God says everyone is invited. Everyone is special. And so you know what we tend to do as the church? We tend to put up new curtains. Now, I don't know if the, if the Jews put that, put the, sewed the curtain back together or made a new one. I suspect they did something because the temple went on for another 30 years before it was destroyed. They had to do something. And we have a tendency to put up curtains. You can't, you can't be a part of things with God until you take care of that. Those kind, these kinds of people are not welcome in the kingdom. These kinds of people are not welcome. These, you, you can't do that and be welcome into the kingdom. And we do it subtly. But there's something about us that wants to do that. I have a friend who says that when you look at the history of the church, in some ways you can define the history of the church by a continual struggle to figure out who's in and who's out. I think we're continually trying to do that. Who's in, who's out. And of course, the people who make the decision about who's in and who's out are always the people who believe they're in. That's God's decision to make. God's just saying to everybody, come. Come. And our role is not to put up new barriers, because here's the thing, that always backfires. What we don't realize is every time we put up a barrier for someone else, what we're really doing is putting up a barrier to ourselves. And so God is saying, come. I think in a sense, God is continually tearing down curtains. So the people, the whole world knows, come, come. But the thing about the torn curtain is that it's not just that we have now access to God but there is a sense in which God now has access to us. It's not as if, now that that curtain is open, all of our commonness comes into this holy space and sort of dilutes it. It's rather that the holiness of God now pours out of that space and makes everything that was common sacred. So that now, every moment of life is a sacred moment. Every person is a sacred person. Everything that God has made, he has made holy. Just as all the things in the temple are made holy. The minute you take just, they had simple utensils, forks and and knives and shovels and bowls in the temple. They're just common things until they are in the temple. And the minute they're in the temple, they're consecrated for God, and they're now holy. And God now has access to us. Our hearts, our minds, our spirits. That's what God has always wanted. Isn't it interesting that the barrier between these two rooms is not a wall? It's a curtain. Walls are permanent. Curtains are temporary. I think it tells us that from the very beginning, God's design was to bridge this gap. God's design was was to eliminate the curtain. God's design was to have this, this flowing access between us and him so that we would know him and know who he is and he would fill us. And the reality of the access of God having access to us tells us that the torn curtain ultimately is not just about God forgiving our sins, as awesome as that is. It's not just about going to heaven, as awesome as that is, and entering into life in the new heaven and new earth. It's more than that. It's bigger than that. It's about God making us holy as he is holy. It's about transformation. 
I think we sometimes think of the cross as, as forgiving our sins, and that's the end of it. That's the beginning of it. Because God's ultimate purpose is not simply to forgive our sins. It is to completely transform us into his image. To make us like Christ. To fill us with his spirit so that we reflect the nature of Christ. So that what comes out of us is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. All the fruit of the spirit. So that when people look at us, what they see is someone who loves the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And loves our neighbors ourselves. That's God's ultimate purpose for us. Not how little we can change, but how much we can change. The book of Hebrews says a lot about this curtain. And when you look at at chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews says, By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let's go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him, that access and closeness. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. And then he says, it feels like he changes gears, but he doesn't. He says, so let's hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let's think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let's not neglect meeting together as some people have done. But encourage one another, especially as we see that day of his return is nearing. So, brothers and sisters, we can enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. What does that mean? That we start living differently. That, we, that God's thoughts become our thoughts. That how he sees things becomes the way we see things. The way he hears becomes the way we hear. The things that he would do, we begin to do. Because God has transformed us through Jesus. And we have opened our hearts to him. And he has full access to us. To make us like Christ. Christ. It's not about rules. It's about the freedom of Christ to shape us into his image. To make us people who are generous like God is. Who are loving like God is. Who are full of grace like God is. Who care like God does. Ever since I was a child, I've I've loved doing puzzles. My parents say that when I was little, they would put puzzles in front of me and they, it would occupy me for hours. I still love doing puzzles. Usually, I got a whole, I got shelves of puzzles in our basement. And, and I, I usually, for my birthday or Christmas, I get at least one puzzle, often multiple puzzles. Because everybody knows I love doing them. And even though I can become obsessive compulsive about puzzles, you know, it's, it's getting midnight and, you know, I'm still working on it. And I'm just got to find that one more piece. You know, you, uh, if you do puzzles, you know what I mean. It's still one of the most relaxing things for me to do. You know, it's just some joy about having something completed and finished and putting the pieces together that I like. And of course, when you do a puzzle, where do you start? You start on the outside. You find all the border pieces and you put those together and you get the framework and then you work your way in. It's just the way you do it. That, that's, that's the way you do puzzles. That's what intrigued me this week. I was reading an article by someone who said, you know of anyone who starts a puzzle in the center? I've never heard of anybody starting a puzzle in the center. I've never tried to start. I may try that sometime. Start a puzzle in the center. I'm sure it would be agonizing because you just don't have any parameters to work with. He says, nobody starts a puzzle in the center except God. Because this puzzle of life that we live in is about Jesus at the center of all of it. And at the center of the puzzle is Jesus. And when Jesus is at the center of the puzzle, our puzzle, the world's puzzle, all that God has made puzzle, 
when Jesus is at the center of it, then it's not about the confinement of the border. It's about how far that puzzle can go. It's about how wide and long that puzzle can be made. And while you and I spend our lives thinking about borders and edges, God's thinking about bigger, wider, deeper, higher. And that, that is the call of the cross and the promise of God. And as we come to this table, this is a table where we remember our sins. But it's also a table where we come in openness to God and say, Lord, make me new. Transform me. I want to come in openness to you. And I want to experience the fullness of your spirit in me. Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you for all that you've done for us in Christ. That you want so much more for us than we even want for ourselves. As we come to this table, pour out the abundance of your blessing on the bread and the cup. And as we eat and drink, it may be food for our souls transformation every part of us. We pray this through Christ. Amen. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, gave thanks to the Father in heaven, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink from this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. We are receiving communion by the mode of intinction this morning. This means to dip in as you're released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it, and then you may return to your seat by the outside aisles. Altar rails always open if you'd like to stay and pray. If coming to the front is difficult for you or if you simply prefer, we have trays of bread and cups. We're happy to serve you in your seat. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And I have gluten-free wafers and cups here. Just let me know if you'd like those as you come forward. We practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. Maybe it's the first time you ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to God, with the desire for God to fill you and to transform you. And come, receive these gifts from our gracious, loving, Heavenly Father.
Please stand with us. You were the word at the beginning. One with God, the Lord most high. Your hidden glory in creation. Now revealed in you are Christ. What a beautiful name it is. bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.